right, let's grab our Bibles, if you would, please. Go to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. We have uh, finished up that back to the basics uh, Bible study that we've been going through. Uh, but may we never forget the foundations on which we stand. The Bible says that the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we need to know what the foundations are that we're building upon. And that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And that's what our church needs to stand upon. And uh, last week we were in Acts chapter number 1. And we were speaking about how they were preparing uh, to receive that filling of the Holy Spirit. We were uh, discussing uh, what they did and how they were all in one accord. And they were cleansing themselves and getting ready. It said in prayer and supplication they were humble and uh, they were in unity, all pulling the same direction. Uh, that's a miracle in and of itself. At a Baptist church, everybody's unified. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Uh, that everybody pulling in the same direction, going the same way, having the same mind. And, you know, that's what we're supposed to do, is to have this mind of Christ. And uh, we have that by getting into the Word of God and uh, just doing the things that He tells us to do. And as we uh, were looking at it, how... He told them to tarry in Jerusalem and he was going to pour out their spirit because their obedience to the Lord and they did do what God told them to do. They stayed where God told them to stay so that they would receive the filling uh, of the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, I want you to understand something. This wasn't uh, some thing that is a magical, uh, mystical, spooky thing because it mentions the Holy Ghost. This was something that God was about to do because Jesus' earthly ministry was over. He had spent 40 days teaching them. He's ascending uh, into the clouds. He just ascended. The disciples all standing there watching him and the angels that were there said, why stand ye gazing into heaven? Uh, reminding them that he's coming back one day and there's a job that he's given us to do. And I'm glad that he's coming back. I'm looking forward to that day. Uh, I wish it would be tonight. You know, our world is in a, a crazy mess. Wouldn't it just be a blessing if he came back tonight? But I want you to understand there is going to come a day when the last person is going to be saved. You say, what are you talking about? There's going to come a day when that last person by faith trusts Jesus as their Savior and God says, go get him. That's it. And you know what? I don't want to be found unfaithful when he comes. Uh, we're not going to have time at that time to uh, go and repent and get things right and uh, stand before him with a clear conscience. Uh, no, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, which is uh, according to scientists. We even talked about that last week. They say the twinkle of an eye is when the light reflects off of your eyeball and it's one thirtieth of a second. So that means he can come back 30 times in one second. Now that's quick, isn't it? And uh, what a blessing, but I want to be found faithful. I asked the Lord, I said, you know, I don't want to be selfish, Lord, but I want, to, I want you to come back when I'm in the middle of leading somebody to Christ. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Or as soon as they trust Christ as their Savior, you come back. Uh, not in the middle of it, because they'd be that far from going, uh, going to hell. But uh, the fact is, I want them to go to heaven. And uh, we, we need to be busy about his business. That's what Jesus was about as he was on this earth. Uh, remember, even when he was younger, when he was a, around the age of 12, remember he's in the temple teaching. His family uh, walks away and they left Jesus standing there uh, teaching. And they asked where he was and they began to look for him. They finally come back and he's still there teaching and uh, talking to them about God. And they said, what are you doing? I'm paraphrasing. He said, what's thou not about my father's business? And uh, he's given us a job to do. And for those 40 days, he was telling those disciples, there's some things that are, you need to carry on, but I'm about to pour out my spirit upon you. 
But there's some things before I can pour out my spirit, before you can be filled with the spirit of God, as the Bible tells us to do, where he says, be not drunk with wine wherein there's excess, but be filled with the spirit. Uh, before we can be filled with the spirit of God, we've got to empty ourselves of some things. You can't be filled with righteousness and holiness if you're full of wickedness and unrighteousness. You cannot be filled with the cleanliness of the spirit of God upon your life if you have too much unrighteousness and stuff inside of you. So what did they have to do? They had to prepare themselves to receive that filling. Now listen, when you get saved, you got as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get. He moved inside of you, took up residence in you. Your body is the temple of God. He lives inside of you. He indwells you. But when you, uh, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you're doing as the Apostle Paul told Timothy to do, to stir that gift up and to let it radiate out of you where others get to experience it. And that's what's about to take place in chapter number 2. Peter and all of them are there and they're looking for someone. Now remember Judas had betrayed Jesus and now there was a hole in the disciples. There was 11 instead of 12. They had to find somebody to stand in the gap to make up that hedge. They had to find somebody that was willing to fill that role. We had to find somebody that was willing to step in and do it. And it said in verse 26, and uh, they gave forth their lots and the lots fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Could you imagine them uh, falling upon Matthias, brother guy, and Matthias saying, no thanks. I don't want to be involved in that. Hey, we need somebody to fill in the gap. We need somebody to step in here. Nah, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. I don't, I don't deal with bus kids. You know, don't put me in that aspect. I don't deal with them. I don't deal with church cleaning. I don't plunge toilets. You know, I don't do those kind of things. Could you imagine if he'd have done that? You know why he didn't? Because he had been doing what everybody else said. He was being filled with the, getting ready to be filled with the Spirit of God. He was uh, humbling himself with supplication and prayer in one accord with the same mind that whatever job needs to be done, I'm willing to do it. And that ought to be our mindset. Whatever job that the Lord needs us to do, may he look around Faith Baptist Church and say, well, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. But as we've read through the Bible, there's often times that they sought for a man among them to make up a hedge and stand in the gap, but they found none. Jeremiah told them, hear ye the word of the Lord. And they said, we will not hearken thereunto. That seems to be the pattern of what takes place. Why? Because we're full of flesh. We're sinners. Every one of us are. Even when we get saved, guess what? We're still sinners. We're just sinners saved by grace. We still have a flesh nature. But now we're in chapter number two. And here we had the Matthias is now added there. And verse number one says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You notice where they're still at. They're still where God told them to be. You understand God tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's important for us to be in church. It's important for us to be in our place. Why? Because God has something for you that when you decide to miss church, you might be missing what God has for you. When you decide to miss your daily Bible reading, guess what? You'll be missing what God has for you. When you be, just decide, I'm going to miss my time of prayer, you're missing that relationship that God has with you. In chapter 2, remember, the day of Pentecost is fully come. The Spirit of God is about to uh, descend, and they're about to experience it. They're about to see it. They're about to feel it. And it said they were still, they were with one accord in one place. And now the Spirit's getting ready to come, verse 2, and suddenly, 
there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we're going to touch on this here in a few minutes because this was not some unknown gibberish that nobody understood. This wasn't just some kind of babbling that was some crazy speech that nobody could understand what was going on. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitudes came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak. Look what it says in his own language. They all heard him speak. Could you imagine uh, me preaching to you right now and uh, maybe there were some Spanish people in here or maybe there's some Chinese people in here and uh, the only two languages I speak are English and hillbilly. I don't speak anything else, okay? I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak Chinese. I know a few Spanish words, just enough to get myself in trouble, but I couldn't preach in any other language except those two. Okay, those are the only ones that I could speak in. But the fact is, if you had uh, all kinds of different uh, areas, people from different continents all throughout this, this is how it took place, is they preached and they people understood in their own language. They understood. I wouldn't have to change what I say. I preach the word just the way I would always preach the word. But God did a miracle that day and translated it through the Holy Spirit of God where other people understood in their own language. Now that's a miracle, isn't it? He didn't even, they didn't have to preach with an interrupter. That's what we like to call them, interrupters, isn't it? When you go over to Laos, you have to preach and then wait a few seconds for them to say what you need to say. I heard a preacher say, I don't like preaching with interrupters. I wish I just knew the language, you know. But we have interpreters. And when we were preach, we'd have to wait and then let the interpreter speak. And then we have to preach and let them wait and so they could interpret it. But this didn't have to happen because the interpreter was the Holy Spirit. He translated it where they all understood in their own language. It said, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How, and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then they begin to list the different places where they came from, all the different tongues, all the different places that they had gathered from. And they're saying, wait a second, this is pretty weird. There's something going on. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were probably a little bit confused. Thinking, how in the world, these are Galileans speaking in the Galilean tongue, but yet we're understanding it in our own language. What a miracle. What an opportunity. God was showing his power. God was showing his miraculous uh, power. You know what? That's the same thing that happens when we're lost. You understand we're incapable of really understanding righteousness without the Holy Spirit of God. We're sinners doomed and destined for hell. But when the word of God is preached, guess what the Holy Spirit begins to do? He begins to translate to us what we need to understand that we're sinners deserving of hell. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He begins to interpret to our wicked, vile souls that uh, we need to understand that we can't get there on our own. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy had he saved us. He begins to translate to us and show us that, hold on a second, not only are you saved, not only are you doomed and destined for hell, that the wages of sin is death, no good works that you have done can get you to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness, all our righteousness that are filthy rags unto the Lord. There's nothing you can do to earn heaven. It's for by grace are you saved through faith. 
And he begins to let us understand that in our wicked vileness of our sin and in our wicked depravity of sin, that we can by grace through faith have life everlasting because of the death, burial, and resurrection. And he shows us something we're not used to. And we can marvel and be amazed by it. And they begin to look at these things and they begin to think about it. And it said in verse 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? What does this mean? What are the, how are we hearing all of this? What's it mean? But then there was the naysayers out there. Verse 13, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Oh, they're just drunk. That's what it is. Trying to make an excuse. Oh, they're just drunk. They're full of wine. It's not a miracle that God's doing. There's nothing going on that uh, intriguing other than the fact that those guys have been drinking too much whiskey. Those guys have been drinking too much fermented grape juice, I'm telling you that. Right now, they're given to wine. That's the problem. Listen, anytime you begin to preach and God begins to do miracles, you're going to have people that are casting doubt. You're going to have people that are trying to uh, cause confusion. You're going to have the naysayers that are going to say, oh, that's not true. There's nothing to that. They're going to try to make excuses. And Satan's going to do all this because the people were in a confused state. They're in a situation not really understanding. You know, it comes time when the gospel's preached to us that there has to be that time of reckoning in our heart. There has to be that time of uh, taking what the gospel is, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that has power to save us. And we have to have the time where the Holy Spirit begins to draw us and we just come to the submitting to the Holy Spirit. That takes a process in our heart. And you know what? These people were in this process. They're hearing these words in their own language and they're thinking, how in the world is this happening? See, I remember uh, hearing different people uh, from other countries. I've been in many missions conferences and different things and they begin to speak in their language and I can't understand a word they say. I have no idea. But you know what would be amazing to me? They started speaking and I was like, whoa, I'm understanding what they're saying. Listen, this wasn't people falling around on the floor acting crazy. This wasn't people uh, waving their hands and rolling around, speaking in some gibberish, wanting, no, no, the Holy Spirit of God was doing a miracle by the disciples speaking about something, these people speaking in the Galilean language, and they all understood it in their own language. What a miraculous thing. It said, and they were amazed, and they marveled, and they said, what meaneth this? What in the world is going on here? How are we understanding all of this? And they began to mock, saying these men are full of new wine. But I like verse 14. They began to mock. They began to make fun. They began to pick about what was taking place in this passage. But I like the next few verses. It's, or the next few words. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaids I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs and things in earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What I like in verse 14 was this. Here the mockers are. Here the naysayers are. Brother Scott, they're making fun of what's taking place. But Peter stood. Peter took a stand. Peter just had himself cleansed in one accord with other believers, prayer, humbling himself, getting himself ready to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 2 comes along in this mighty sound of the Holy Spirit, the wind. Guess what? They saw it. They heard it. It fell upon them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. People begin to wonder what's happening. Satan tries to get in there and stir it up and say, no, this isn't what's taking place. Tries to get people off track, but Peter took a stand. You know what he didn't do? He didn't cower like most of us do when Satan tries to get in and start getting people to start doubting God. They hear the gospel preached. They hear the word of God brought forth and they're about ready to make a decision. They stand amazed saying, what meaneth this? And the truth is about to be there. And people begin to cut in there and say, oh no, don't worry about that. That's just a lie. That book's just written by men. You don't want to believe that. But you know what? Peter stood. He took a stand with the 11 disciples. And he began to open his mouth and speak about what the Bible said. And he said, listen, just as it was prophesied in days before, just as you have heard in days of old, God said he was going to pour out his spirit. He was going to send his spirit upon them and people are going to prophesy and they're going to see visions and dream dreams and you're going to see uh, miracles take place. And how do you think you're understanding all of this? How do you think all of this is taking place? He said, it's all from God. It's all from God. In verse 21, he said, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was giving them the gospel. He was helping them to understand what was happening. Verse 22, he said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. I'm not going to read all of this, but he's talking about how God raised him up and how David spoke concerning these things. And we're going to touch on some of this here in just a few minutes. But in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they hear this, look what it says. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized for every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remissions of sin that ye receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know what he said? He said, you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to repent, turn of your sins, turn away from them you got to do what God said you need to do. He said, Jesus, who was crucified, let me tell you about who he is. He's Lord in Christ. He's God. Why don't we have Pentecost Sundays anymore? 
3,000 people. I'm not going to, we're, we're going to read it here in just a few minutes. But 3,000 people were added to the church that day. You think that God is limited today? That we can't see that take place? You think God has uh, limited himself to not wanting to save 3,000 souls and add them unto the church? Do you think maybe the problem is that God has just uh, became weaker over the times that we've progressed through the earth and the more educated we get, I guess maybe God's not as powerful, right? No, that's not the case. The problem is we're not ready to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And just as they desired it, just as they obeyed God for it, just as they did what, was, uh, what needed to take place in order to receive the filling of the Spirit of God needs to take place in our life again. And then when the gospel is preached, when the Word of God is brought forth, when miracles begin to take place and the naysayers come in and say, oh, you can't believe that. Oh, don't listen to that. Don't do that. You know what it's time for us to do? Stand. Stand. You know what he tells us to do? Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's the first step in that armor. Think about it in Ephesians. What's he say? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand in the evil day. When the naysayers begin to say, oh, we need a different translation of this Bible. Because that one's just too old. It's too difficult to understand. You know what God's people need to do? They need to stand. They need to stand. You know what? There's too many people cowering down. There's too many people backing up. We need to have this Pentecostal power. And in this passage here, it's happening. There was miracles taking place. The Holy Spirit of God was revealing himself to these folks and letting them know that the only way this could really happen is for God to have a miracle. But Satan was trying to say, no, it's because they're drunk and they're, they're speaking in this language. And, uh, you know, it's just they're, they're speaking this gibberish. I don't know how you're understanding, but it's because they're drunk. Peter says, not because they're drunk. It's not time of the day that they would be drunk. He said, this is God fulfilling his prophecy. It's God doing what he said he was going to do. All of these people were gathering together. I wondered why God was waiting. Why was God waiting for this time to pour it out? Listen, God wants us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But this was a time during these Jewish holidays, the Feast of Harvest, where all of these people were gathering together in one place. And God knew that in this time, this was an opportunity where all these different people would be in one place to celebrate this time of feasting. And God was about to do a miracle amongst all the nations that he brought together at one time. All these different places that God, listen, everything's done in God's timing on purpose and God has a plan for it. And we need to trust in him. God had a plan. In verse 2 and 3, we were reading about that sound from heaven, how they heard what was taking place. It was visible. They saw it said it set upon them. It appeared before them, that wind that they saw come through. Listen, salvation is a miracle. It takes place. We hear it not audibly, but we hear it when the gospel speaks to our heart. If you're saved in this room, you can attest to it that day you got saved. It wasn't an audible voice from heaven, but you sure heard it inside of your soul, didn't you? You sure heard that Holy Spirit of God going, hey, let me in, will you? I'm here, I love you, and drawing you into himself, you heard it. When I got saved, not only did I hear the Holy Spirit knocking at my heart's door, but I also felt it. I felt it as he uh, entered inside of me when I, by faith, trusted him as my Savior. Guess what? I felt it. There was something different. There was a change inside of me. You say, preacher, was something spooky? Were you being possessed? No, I was being indwelt 
by the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what? Things were different from that day. That's why old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. At first, inside of me was nothing but unrighteousness and wickedness and sin. But when Jesus came in, when the Holy Spirit of God took up residence, guess what? There was still sin. But I had access to righteousness through the Lord Jesus Christ. There was confusion that took place. There was criticism that was happening. We still find the same things taking place today when the gospel is brought forth. People are beginning to say, whoa, what meaneth this? And the gospel is brought forth to them. Satan begins to try to get different reactions from them. Oh, it's a lie. Maybe it's just too difficult to understand. But Peter stood. Peter stood. He spoke about how God raised Jesus from the dead. And he gave testimony. You know what Peter preached on? Peter began to stand up and preach. He preached on a topic that penetrates hearts. He preached on Jesus. He preached Jesus. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's Lord and Christ. He said, remember when it was prophesied a long time ago? He began to just preach Jesus. You know where Faith Baptist Church will go wrong when we begin to preach anything else but Jesus. You say, what are you talking about? When we begin to try our own philosophies and our own opinions, when we begin to try to teach other things contrary to what the Bible says because we want people to maybe look uh, on us and maybe we don't want to hurt people's feelings as bad. But you know what? We need to just preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. That's what changes lives. I can never change anybody's life, but Jesus can change people's lives. You can never change anybody's life, but Jesus can change lives. Peter didn't stand up and say, hey, God said I'm a stone. He's going to build his church on me. He told me that in Matthew. He didn't say that, did he? He said it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. This miracle's taking place has nothing to do with us. It's all about God. It's all about him. He preached Jesus. But I want to talk to you about this message a little bit tonight. Some things about Peter's message. Look at verse 22 through verse 24. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 21 and 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Look what he said. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You know what he did? He was preaching Jesus. He had some courage in his message. He stood, verse 14, the naysayers are out there. Guess what? He had some courage and some boldness. There's some courage in this message. He begins to preach Jesus, and you know what he, ta he talked about? The gospel here is the what? Death, burial, and resurrection, isn't it? He talked about the death of Christ. He talked about Jesus, a man approved of God. He said, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, him being delivered uh, by the terminate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. He said he died. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up. Guess what? He's not dead anymore. He's alive forevermore. For the last 40 days, we've been walking with him. We've been talking with him. 
He's been giving us some instructions. And I'm here to tell you today, he's alive forevermore. Peter was saying that death, death couldn't hold him down. The grave couldn't handle him. He could, it couldn't hold on to him. Why? Because he has the keys of death and hell. And up from the grave he arose. And he's offering life everlasting to anyone that will receive it. He said, all you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. He had some courage in the message. But not only do we see courage in the message, see, look at the Christ of the message. He's talking about it. But verse 25, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also uh, my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thou holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with, uh, with thy countenance. He's going on and he's reading through all this and he's going down all the way through verse 35. He therefore being a prophet, verse 30, and knowing that God hath sworn him an oath to him that out of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would rise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ and his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. See, he's talking about Christ. He said, we saw it happen. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, that he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto, the, uh, unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. He's talking about Jesus. He had some courage in his message, began to tell him, listen, no, you're lying. It's not about them being drunk. It's all about Jesus. But then he begins to talk about who Jesus is. He said, you know what? He's not willing to leave you in hell. He came He up from the grave. He arose. He conquered hell so he could offer life everlasting. And all the way back, David even spoke about it. We've heard about it from generation to generation of what Jesus was going to do. And we've been witnesses of it we watched it we saw it we saw him afterwards he spoke with us he talked to us he's alive forevermore he's not willing for you to perish but he wants you to receive him he talked about what christ will do he can make old things new again aren't you glad for what christ does in us aren't you glad for who he is and what he's done old wretched sinners like us on our way to a devil's hell Man, this chapter 2 just motivates me. Why? Because I think about what happened when Peter got up there. I don't think he stood up there and said, Okay, now, let's take our Bibles and talk about what Jesus did. I think he had some excitement behind him. I think there was some passion in what he was talking about. I think he was standing up with some boldness and some courage. And he's saying, listen, don't listen to what the naysayers are telling you. I've seen it firsthand what Jesus Christ can do. I've watched what he can do. I've listened to him talk. And the reason that he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. He died. You all crucified him. He was buried, but he rose again. And we've talked to him these last 40 days. We're witnesses of it. And I'm here to tell you he wants to save you too. What a message he's talking to him about. There was some courage in this message. He talked about the Christ of the message. But let's look at verse 36 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, 
Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this outward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day and were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking them bread and prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men. Every man had need, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Because of Peter's courage, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God and the power and the message that was brought forth, the Christ of the message, the conviction began to set in and there was conversion from the message. You know what took place? People began to be pricked in their hearts as the Word of God so graciously does. As the Word of God sometimes so violently does. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And when the Word of God was brought forth, the people began to be pricked in their heart and they said, what do we need to do? And he said, repent. Repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get baptized so you can be added unto the church. Do all of these things. Why? That you can uh, have rest in your Christian life. There was conversion from the message. But there was a continued steadfastness after this conversion took place. You know what they didn't do? They didn't get saved and then just stop there. They didn't see the 3,000 people get saved and added unto the church and say, well, we did our job. They showed us what discipleship's all about. You understand discipleship is just as important. They say, why? Because somebody might get saved, but then they just go off. Oh, their eternal destination settled forever. Their eternal uh, heaven has been paid for. They've received it by faith. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood's been applied. They are, according to God, when he looks at them, are justified. But you know what? They can still live a wicked life. They can still live a life of misery and heartache. They can still live an ungodly, wretched life. Why? Because if they've not been trained on how to follow God and how to grow in the things of Christ. And oftentimes we're guilty as churches. We see people get saved and we think, well, we did our job. No, there was more to it. There was more to it. God told them, listen, I want you to just stop there. Remember the commission that he gave them in Matthew. All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. He was reminding them. Go ye therefore. 
and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Listen, why, why do we have Sunday school? Why do we try to have discipleship times? Why do we have time to do that? Because that's what God wants us to do. There was conversion. There was courage in Peter's message. He stood and he boldly proclaimed the things of God. He talked about the Christ of the message. And because of the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God, there was a conversion that took place. But the result of that conversion showed a continual steadfastness. And I wish God's people would have that today. A continual steadfastness. Where we're steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. But it seems like we blow with every wind of doctrine as the storms of of life begin to rage around us. And we go this way and we go this way and we get confused by this or confused by that. And we say, well, what means this? And we just listen to anyone who ever says it. But we don't study the scriptures. We don't go to the word of God. We don't look at what God has to say and say, thus saith the Lord. Listen, aren't you glad for a place that we can come that opens up this King James Bible and stands up here and boldly proclaims the things of God. Listen, if I had an opportunity to choose a church to go to, it wouldn't be one that told me what I wanted to hear. It'd be one that tells me what I need to hear according to the Word of God. Why? Because just telling me what I want to hear doesn't change my life. Telling me what I need to hear is what changes my life. And preaching Jesus was Peter's message. Because he said, listen, the only thing that's going to change you is what Jesus did in me. And what Jesus did in all these other disciples. I believe he got a little bit of testifying. I was on a ship. Fishing. And here come a man on a shore. And he looks up at me and he says, hey, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. And I don't know what it was, Brother Ron, but just something inside of me. Said, I need to follow him. Here I am on a ship. Doing what I know how to do. And this man just says, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what happens? He followed him. He left his nets and followed him. You know what? He put faith in Jesus, didn't he? And he told the testimony. I believe with all my heart that Peter stood there and testified of that. He talked about what Jesus did for him and what Jesus can do for you. You know what? The greatest testimony you could ever tell is what Jesus did for you. Where he took you from to where you are today. The Apostle Paul tried to remind the church at Corinth that when they were bickering and arguing over little petty things and they were wanting to go to law one against another, he begins to get their attention and he says, hey church, listen up for a second. He says, "Uh, why are you all bickering? Why are you fighting over this little thing? He said, let me talk to you about what's really important. He said, neither idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor revilers, nor extortioners, nor drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God. He says, and such were some of you. Remember what you used to be. He said, but you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. Hey, what are you so sad about? What are you not worried about? What Jesus took you from to where you are today, that's what you ought to rejoice in. That's what you ought to be thinking about. That's what you ought to be encouraged from. And that's what we need to take tonight. Here, if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, first off, you've got to cleanse yourself, get yourself ready. But once that Spirit comes, guess what you need to do? You need to preach Jesus because it's going to change people's lives. You need to start testifying of what he did for you. Quit being ashamed of it. Don't wear your Jesus first pin on the inside of your coat. Wear it on the outside. I'm not ashamed of him. 
We wear it on the inside, and when we see somebody else who has one, we go, hey, I know Jesus too. We ought not to be ashamed of him. We ought not to be ashamed of him. And they boldly proclaimed it. You know what's going to happen if we preach Jesus? Conversion is going to take place. Same thing happens over and over and over again. Prayers go up. And when prayers go up, the power comes down. And when the power comes down, preaching goes on. And when preaching goes on, people get saved. When people get saved, persecution happens. And when persecution happens, guess what? Prayers go up. And when prayer go up, power comes down. When power comes down, preaching goes on. When preaching goes on, people get saved. When people get saved, persecution happens. It's a cycle. It takes place. Listen, if persecution's taking place, if Satan's fighting, guess what? That's because he doesn't like the message. We need to just keep preaching Jesus. Just keep preaching Jesus. And that's what Peter did. And guess what? 3,000 people got saved. Listen, I'm just not, I'm, I guess I'm just naive enough to believe that God can still do that today. I guess I'm just naive enough to believe that the same God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who's always the same, we could still see 3,000 people get saved in one day. But you know what? It didn't stop there. It said, and then daily, they added unto the church such as should be saved. We always talk about, man, Pentecost was such a wonderful day. 3,000 people got saved, and guess what? It was a wonderful day. But they didn't say, well, that we met our quota for the year. It said every day after that, daily, they added unto the church, such as should be saved. Listen, we need to start adding to the church, adding to the church, adding to the church. How do we do it? Preach Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit of God. That Pentecostal power, we can still have it today. God's people just need to get cleaned up, get some power behind them, start getting some courage and stand. Stand and just preach Jesus. Oh, you're going to have critics. You're going to have the naysayers. But just stand and preach Jesus. And I promise when you preach Jesus, people are going to get saved. They're going to get saved. Because some sow and some water. But God giveth the increase. With heads bowed, eyes closed.